Oh my god, ladies and gentlemen, it's Ampersands and Sons coming to you from Gilbert, Minnesota, and uh, Edmonton. Are you still in Edmonton there, Julian? I, I am always in Edmonton, Neil. All right, Edmonton of our hearts, where we all are, and and it should be and it should be it should be clarified for our American listeners that I live in the Edmonton that is not directly supervised by Mitch McConnell. I live in the Great White <laughs> North Free Edmonton. Oh my gosh, Mitch McConnell uh, supervises a place called Edmonton. No, he's the senator from Kentucky, and there is an Edmonton, Kentucky. Ah, uh, I see. Well, we wouldn't want to get political here, Julian. People might be offended, and they come here for high-quality commentary. So watch the McConnell barbs, my friend. And that's and that's why I segued into a discussion of Deer Turtle because <laughs> I I saw that uh, that commentary in your uh, review this week, where where you felt the need to contextualize your politicization a little bit. Yes, yes, because people are uh, seem to think that they can get away without people pushing back because there's this constant um, this constant attitude now where it's like if I don't agree with your opinion, you must silence it. And there's a difference between I disagree with your opinion and you must silence it. And you are saying things that could get people hurt, like vaccines don't work. So you must be quiet. And people don't see the difference between those two things. And they seem to think that because something got political and not lighthearted and not surface and not kindergarten, they don't have to come along. And the truth is they don't. But if they do come along, they don't then get to complain. They got to shut up. <laughs> and I mean, like, inherently, this feeds into the broader discussion of politics and comic books that's been happening in the last couple of weeks. What with... Uh, Captain America being accused by certain news outlets of being overtly political. And people, I think, forget that the comic book writers who created these characters, especially a lot of the Marvel characters in the 60s and 70s, were deeply political and were working their political commentary into the books they were writing, to wit, the cover of Captain America's very first issue is him taking the stance that Nazis are bad and punching Adolf Hitler in the face. And I don't believe <laughs> that most American readers would have criticized that as being too political. But we live in a different world now. We live in a very strange world, Julian, where at, at, at the same time in America, at least, everything is so maddeningly polarized that everyone must have a position on anything. But if you take a position in any any sort of way at all in any kind of commentary, that is, uh, you, you will take <laughs> flack for it. But that's neither here nor there, because the and, reality and, is it's not going to change to, our to, opinions and it's not going to make us be silent. Right, and, and for the benefit of the audience, the only reason that I'm egging Neil on here is because he is in traveling mode and won't have time to do a solid uh, edit for non-relevant <laughs> content portion of this podcast, so I am ensuring that what he delivers to be posted will include this bit tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, the good thing is I have stopped caring about anything, 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 including Hugh Jackman. Um, <laughs> but the episode, <laughs> well, we got two episodes to cover because we were going to cover Superman we have, 3 and we then have... we ran out of time and then I had internet problems and, and then I was in a car and here I am in, in Gilbert, Minnesota and I don't and even then, know where I'm, where I, I am. 
And somewhere in there, we, we managed to get a legit TV script coordinator to come in and give us a mild dressing down about, you know, sometimes we're, we're a little too critical um, and, yes. and aren't taking the writer's room process into account, which was fun. Um, yeah, we had two episodes that were good, almost excellent, and made me angry. Ah, yes. Well, why don't you summarize the first one? Because we are on a rolling clock today. Okay, I will summarize the first one. So in the first one, um, the we, we, we get the reveal of Superman's plan to overcome Morgan Edge's um, patently transparent attempt to indoctrinate him to the dark side. And his plan is to have no plan to fall directly into the trap, but just be really good at getting out of traps, um, which he does. <laughs> and <laughs> um, we see the wrap up of Edge's plot to fundamentally turn Earth into a new Krypton. Uh, we see an absolutely epic uh, fight slash reversal between Superman and John Henry Irons. Um, we get a touching moment between Lois and John Henry and the boys and John Henry and everything is awesome. And in order for me to enjoy it, I have to forget that the last three or four episodes happened. Yes. The, uh, the optimum or the optimum, the optimal way to watch the last two episodes is, is forgetting the end of the clip episode and then just going like we jumped right into these next two episodes because it makes things a whole heck of a lot more consistent, as I was writing in the review of the last one. Uh, should I summarize the next one, or do you yeah, want to talk and, about and the I first mean, one first? Hold on, hold on, just one second, and then I'll let you summarize yeah. the next one, because I think this is going to sure. work better if they're handled as a pair. Um, I think so. The... I, I don't want people to get me wrong. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode... And had certain previous things not occurred, and this is the same criticism for this week's episode, episode 13, had certain previous events not happened and certain characterizations not happened and certain things not been rushed to get us to this place, I would uh, unapologetically and unabashedly and without reservation have enjoyed these episodes with the exception of some Kyle stuff in episode 13. Um, but all that stuff exists and it made the quality of this particular episode not decrease for me, but it made me angrier at the stuff that we had to sit through to get to this place, if that makes sense. I it, it does. It does. There was a lot of um, it, it, it slowed everything down, which I think pretty much saved the show for me. Like it stopped going at a breakneck pace to the point of where it was like, everything must happen now. Um, but yeah, there were some casualties to that. And uh, those casualties were pretty plain and apparent. But the good thing is, as a whole, it kind of got better and stuck together and worked eventually. Um, to, to, to make a cohesive whole that was better than the sum of its failing parts. Yes. I think Sorry, that, um, I'm just texting it. Ellie. <laughs> are we having technical... Of course we're having technical problems because I gotta slap this one together at the last minute. That's the way it goes, of course. But Yes. Yeah. Um, 
And then uh, I think that uh, especially given that everything was so breakneck to the point of where they moved everything so fast back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for like three or four episodes just to make things happen. It's now weird that they're kind of taking their time and doing a downtime ep- time episode. And I know that after a big event happens, you got to have some downtime, but we're into the last three episodes now. So it's a little bit weird. There's a lot of weird here and I want, well, we're going to do a question section this week because I have a bunch, but I the very first question that I'm going to ask, and I want you to remind me of this when we get to that part, is why does episode 13 of season one exist? Not in the sense that it's not a good episode, not in the sense that it's not narratively fit within this story, but why is it in this season? As in, why... Was episode 12 not the end of this season? The the single biggest thing that these two episodes highlighted for me was that this show's biggest flaw for me is that it has a massive pacing problem. I was talking to Ellie about it, and the way I described it was, you remember Batman and Robin, how it had way too many villains? This show has (laughs) way too many plots. Kinda, yeah. I mean, it's it's thirteen arc, it's should exist. Thir- thirteen should exist, but it's also very clear that twelve seems to be where they wanted to stop the season, and now they're like, we've got three more. Let's just do a little bit of a. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make water. a pitch. Yeah, I'm gonna make a pitch towards the end of this season that the only re- or towards the end of this episode that the only reason thirteen exists is because they did not deal with a whole bunch of seeds that they planted earlier on in the season, like people getting powers from the XK in the ground, which they flatly explained in episode 13 was what was happening. They weren't getting powers from the Kryptonian consciousness, so in your face, Neil Bailey. Um, (laughs) But there's there's a whole lot of stuff... Yeah, uh, it was a throwaway line in the back third of the episode, and I kind of groaned audibly um, because they were they're trying to clarify and undo some of the damage that the race to climax occurred to the to the storytelling that they built. Um, but I'm going to make a pitch that this should have been in a season that was handled with more care, the first episode of the second season. And why afterwards. But give us your summary of of episode 13. Well, the summary of episode 13 is you get a lot of cool down uh, as the Cushings face the consequences of their actions, as Superman tries to uh, reconcile the fact that he almost destroyed the world as uh, Lois freaks out because she trusts her husband, um, which is a little... Of an awkward way to put it. Uh, Jordan and Jonathan experience some problems with um, trying to engage in a romantic relationship. And uh, John Henry becomes part of the team. Fair. That's a good assessment. And and the reason that we did it this way, where I summarized the first episode, Neil summarized the second episode, was, as I said to Neil, before the episode started, I watched episode 13... 
um, almost incredulous that it existed and was kind of yanked out of it a bunch of times by the fact that it existed, which again is not a commentary on its quality. It is one of the better episodes of this season. Um, I just don't understand. Like, it's just weird. I think it's set it's up weird the last that it's two there. episodes, but I also appreciate it. And the reason I appreciate it is because it, even if it, it is a lot of stuff that doesn't have too much weight to it, like nothing epic happened, like I point out in the review, it's all a bunch of loose ends tying up. And it's kind of like an apology for the rush that they had to make uh, in ways. Like it's kind of a, a, a love letter to the continuity nerd because like you said, there's that little element that even I missed about the XK and explaining that and explaining why Malfoy L was there and explaining Edge's lost motivation and actually having the Cushings face some consequences for their abysmal behavior and paying off a little of the romance that they had been trying to do the whole season but ran out of time for and actually trying to make Sam Lane a a coherent character again. <laughs> there were a lot of neat bows yes. that were that were that, that is end of the season kind of stuff. So I kind of uh enjoyed it for that. But but again we're but again but again, we're not at the end of the season, and I have a feeling like we have not yet hit the climax. I think the climax will no. be next week, and the real denouement will be episode 15. Um, or it's just going to be climax, then climax, cliffhanger. Well, I think what it is is they spent their 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 season by episode 12, and now they're like, well, we've got three more episodes, we have to do something exciting. It's easy to have the villain jump back up after the villain's dead, and there's a fun episode or two in that, and I think that if they pull off the Eradicator thing, and it seems like what they're trying to do is they're going to probably do something flashy with effects and something cool, because they clearly, as as someone was pointing out, they had a clip show, a bottle episode. Uh, that was Trevor that pointed that out. Um, so they're saving yeah. up money for something. So I'm betting we'll see a pretty darn cool set of effects um, coming in there. And also, also, we will. also, I think that this episode is making... Uh, I, I get the feeling that a lot of the disjointed qualities of this season have a lot to do with the COVID breaks. And I'm beginning to develop a respect like I had at the early part of the season for what this writing staff can do. And I think they had to write around and work around a lot of stuff, which of course I can't know, but that is my presumption based on the fact yeah. that it went from wildly good to wildly incoherent and rushed back to wildly, not wildly good, back to passably good. Um, you know, like it's it's above No, you know what? I'll get I'll 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 give it to them. The last so these this packet of three episodes, and again, I didn't mind the ending of uh, episode eleven as much as you did. Um, these three episodes taken together are pretty excellent, and I would argue as good as the output from the beginning of the series, even though they're telling a different type of story and the focus is much less on the uh, small, quiet Superman's raising his kids on a farm beats. Um, that's fine. The I, I would argue that the quality is, is par with those first few episodes. I am... I guess... I guess I'm... So, to me... It would have been fine if the season ended at 12 with all of those bits that, um, so last week's episode, 
with all of those bits left untied off. I didn't need the John Henry Irons and Superman team up, even though it was cool. That would have been an excellent starting place for the next season. I didn't need Morgan Edge back out as an existential threat. That would have been a good, like leading into Eradicator would have been a good uh, lead into the next season. Like there's, there's a whole bunch of beats here that I just don't make any sense in a season where we've had by this point two self-contained arcs and climaxes. I think because we got the we got the John Henry Irons arc, which could have fed a season on its own. And its resolution, and then its re-resolution last week, which then kicked off the explosion of Morgan Edge's arc, which also resolved, and now we're going towards a re-resolution. Like, they're doing something different than TV shows normally do. Um, The comparison to Smallville can sort of safely be made, where Smallville, you would have the... Resolution of the previous season's big boost and and sort of what the level up to the characters was at the beginning of the next season for a couple of episodes. And then the threat for that season was introduced and was piecemeal sort of littered out over the course of the season with a bunch of Monster of the Week episodes. And most genre TV does some variation of that, right? We've got one big threat... We've got a bunch of smaller threats that thematically tie up in ways to the bigger threat or what our protagonists are going through to help them get prepared for the bigger threat. And then you face the bigger threat is kind of the genre TV model. And this show is clearly trying to do something different than that. And it's different than all of the other CW shows in its execution of that because they all follow that model. The problem I have with it is I'm not convinced that the experiment that they're on is good. Well, they're kind of doing the thing that Smallville used to do, which is it would go eight episodes or so, and then it would hit the sweeps period. And then for a couple of weeks, you'd have really epic episodes. And then you'd go back to the Freak of the Week episodes with little bits of the the B plot reflecting the overall threat. And then the A plot would become the overall threat again. And so you'd have the big, the the villain resurging at the end of the season. I think this is just that minus a bunch of the filler episodes toward the end of the season. I think what they're trying to do is they're, they, they've done the, the high sweeps stakes and now they're lulling for a couple episodes and then they're going to do the big climax. And uh, hopefully it won't be as much as most of the Smallville ones were. Except the sweeps thing made sense because, like, if you look at... I'm going to use Smallville only because you haven't watched, like, full seasons of the other CW shows, although they follow the same formula, is, yeah, you get that early introduction and then you get Monster of the Week, Monster of the Week, Monster of the Week, um, sort of level up stuff for the main character um, so that they're not quite strong enough to tackle the bad guy at sweeps and we get an establishment of threat and then monster of the week, monster of the week, monster of the week, and then another sweeps period and we get that other surge and then we get finale season, right? Like that's, that's the model. This is two completely bottled arcs and they actually cause narrative problems for each other. Um, and we'll get to that when we discuss the, well, no, we're, we'll get, like, it happens at the beginning of, of, uh, 
last week's episode. So let's let's dive spoilers. And and just so everybody knows, I'm being the negative Nelly this week, even though I really liked it, and Neil liked it way more than I did, uh, <laughs> or at least was more positive towards it. I, I I think I would rate these higher in quality than Neil, while liking them less than Neil, and 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 I'll explain why after. Um, but it really has to do with what they do to the season as a whole, and what they do to the story that we've got. And the pacing of that story. Like, those those are my issues with what we get. So, Superman gets infected with Zod's consciousness. Right? And they yes. make this huge deal out of bigging up how no one can endure Zod's will. Right. Right? Okay. Yes. And presumably... Um... Clark just through no trick there's no there's no game to this the the inference that we're given is that Superman's will is stronger than Zod's will and to be fair Zod has never had to raise teenage boys so I'll buy that um and he just kind of manages to after a good talking to overpower Zod in the big climactic battle and push him out of his brain is basically yes, what the power here. of love. Huey Lewis saves right. the day. And so the problem that I have with that is the further inference to that is that the only reason Clark of this reality is able to do that and Clark of John Henry Iron's reality is not because everything that they've shown us says that the exact same sequence of events has occurred to produce an evil Superman in that universe, which we now know is likely Zod using Superman's body. The only fundamental difference between those two, these two realities as far as who Superman is as a person is Superman doesn't have the love of Lois Lane in that universe. Yeah. No, that's, is that a bad thing? And that seems pretty sweet that to me. Im, that implicates... That it's sweet, but it's so reductionist. Like, I, I buy that Lois is with Clark because of who Clark was raised to be. And the man that Clark was raised to be is a person of tremendous will who draws on that will. And I, and I get that they were trying to seed all of this stuff with Jor-El's parting... Uh, commentary to Clark in the fortress that he needs to find a reason to fight for them, right? That's that's it, it's his uh opposite speech to uh bad dad for Edge, um, right. where Clark needs needs to embrace them in a way that causes him to have uh fear of loss, a risk. But the problem is, is we're never given any indication that Clark doesn't wind up with, say, Lana in the other timeline. Right? Yeah, or true. he doesn't wind up with someone else who he has just as much a reason to fight for. Or that Jor-El wouldn't have given that same speech. We don't know enough. We just know that he doesn't have Lois. And it places well, it, Lois on It's kind of an open question. This... Yes. Yeah, Wait, I, I what, what that, is That um... he doesn't have Lois? Well, who he has or who he doesn't have in the other universe, but I think that it's 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 also kind of taking it's flipping the injustice Superman or the uh, well. So 
So one of the best things about Kingdom Come is that that Superman is, doesn't turn evil because Lois dies. You know, like he kind of exiles himself yeah. because he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be part of humanity anymore because he's lost the thing he loves the most. I guess it's probably a bad. That's a that's a reductive way of putting it. But um, it's more complicated. No, but it's accurate. Course, but, but it's but it's but it's, but it's so, fairly well, accurate. So we have. We have a lot of we have a lot of media now suggesting that if you know Lois dies, Superman will turn into an amoral monster. And my favorite issue of the comics, as we've probably discussed before, is that issue of Action Comics where Superman has to let Lois die in order to not kill the Joker, and he does it because he knows that she would not love him anymore if he was not the person that he was, which is someone who you know, preserves life above all else when it's, when it's, you know, the choice between killing somebody to save somebody or, you know, and then what you have here is kind of like a, uh, another pot, pot shot to a degree, not a pot shot. I'll take the pot shot. Um, it's another, it's another, they refute the essential idea of like the Snyder verse or the injustice verse where it's like, Superman is just one bad day away from wanting to melt the whole world, you know? So honestly, right. I don't as long as that's the message they're pushing, I'm not so worried about no, and that's, the idea and that's, that, and that, that's that he fair. might be weak. You know? No, and I don't have an issue with the fact that he might be weak. What I have an issue with the fact uh, or, or where I take issue is with the fact that it requires us to pedestal Lois Lane. And if the writers had kept Lois Lane consistently the character she was in the first three or four episodes, I would be fine with that. But they didn't do that. They turned her into Kristen Crook's Lana Lang at will and then flipped her back and forth over and over yes, again. Yes, and that's one of the problems episodes. with the inconsistencies and, like, the Natalie, you know, the thing. Like, like she, yeah. she flat out screams and threatens to scare Jordan with her voice. And, you know, this is perfectly rational adult parenting behavior when a child has done something like cutting school or nearly getting killed in a murder camper as any parent will tell yeah. you you know as long as you're not smacking the kid you know being angry yeah. for a legitimate reason can show the gravity of a situation um but yeah that's the thing when when you when you do things that undercut the character it makes you it makes you less able to buy in later but i don't know if that necessarily right. means that it's a bit well i i wrote about that a little bit about the way that you know like this is the problem with having stinker episodes is then you have to set them aside to enjoy the good ones, but they're always lingering there in the back of your head, undermining the credibility of the episodes that are written consistently in the way that they should be. Right. So that's a bad thing. And that's, I think, the biggest sin of the last two episodes is they came back to the quality of the first few in the season, but they kind of um, they explained away plot things, but they nothing was ever done to kind of address the weirdness that happened or like like John Henry and the weirdness, is now acting like John Henry would but John Henry was not right. acting like John Henry would a couple episodes ago where he was like Superman he, he was being Batman in Batman v Superman because Batman had to be that way for the plot if there's even a 1% chance he's going to go evil I have yeah. to hit him with my murder camper you know like no but that's fair because John Henry Irons clearly didn't know what caused Superman to go evil so from his perspective Superman is a sleeper agent and this was going to happen in every reality with any superman everywhere and it's not until he realizes that 
Superman is Clark Kent, and Clark Kent has kids, and he's seen this man interacting with his kids, and he can't possibly be by nature a monster, that he starts to crack a little bit, even after everything that's happened, right? No, but, like, that's 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 what they gave us. That's what the writers no, gave us. I, and, I agree. And I agree pro- with you. I just had a moment there where I kind of fell into my own thoughts, and I had that moment where John Henry was trying to decide whether or not to kill Superman, and he was, like, watching Superman grapple with the power of love, and I just picture John Henry's voice going, stronger and harder than a bad girl's dream? You know? Like, <laughs> that's why I was laughing, because that popped into my head apropos of nothing, yeah, yeah. and you can't not laugh at that when it happens, so... But, he, but here's the thing, like, okay, so everything in this episode was, and I'm, I'm going to the first of the two, was cool, but would have been cooler had they not written themselves into corners. So, for example, yes, because they rushed Edge from Donald Trumpian corrupt business tycoon into megalomaniacal Kryptonian supervillain hellbent on destroying all of humanity and turning Earth into Krypton, they could not use Zod properly. They weren't allowed to because they give us Zod inhabiting Superman's body, which would have been totally, totally boss for two or three episodes if we hadn't known that the plan was to utterly destroy all of humanity and rebuild Krypton. And we already knew that by this point, so they couldn't let Zod walk around in Superman's body for more than one episode because then all of humanity is dead. Which raises issue two, popping Zod out of the bottle and into Superman completely nullifies Edge's malice and um, sense of overwhelming power of the narrative because they immediately established that Zod is a badder baddie than Edge. Or they also established right? that Edge is just somebody's lackey. That's the other thing that is that is very weird. Like, he, he, he alternates between the lackey and he alternates between the megalomaniac with the, with the plan. And they kind of tried to explain it this episode, which I can, you know, as much as I don't like the inconsistency, at least they gave it a path where it's A to B to C now, where it's like, okay, for a while he became a megalomaniac because... He was trying to do it his way so he didn't have to do it his father's way, but then he became the weeping child man again, you know, like it, when, when, right. oh, what the hell is Donald Trump, Donald Trump's dad's name, um, <laughs> you oh, know, when Malfoy L came in and, and, and was like, you'll never be my son yeah, yeah. if you don't, uh, you know, do the awful things I did, you know. So, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, so like they, they painted themselves into these corners where, pulling these things out of the toy box then became like, yeah, that's cool, but why'd you do that? Like, why'd you do that to yourself? Zod for next season a little bit, but it is, it is a weird pull to do, to do Zod and then have him speak one or Man, two lines if we and get, go back into the box. If we get Kyle Zod next season, I'm just going to sit in my living room and punch myself in the face repeatedly because they can't do Zod without doing another Body Snatcher episode. And at this point, Kyle being Body Snatched would be a mercy. Um, but, <laughs> like, again, it's it's this super weird... It's this super weird duality where every cool thing was also a yeah, but. Like, it was really neat having Lois be panicked enough about what's being discussed in the we're gonna kill Clark because we can't 
you know, take the risk of him being able to fight this off successfully, et cetera, et cetera, of her being super panicked and going and telling John Henry Irons uh, that Clark, that Superman is Clark, because getting to see his moment of realization sink in was glorious. It was cool. That was the best, like, land of that secret reveal I think I've ever seen in any media. But it's ruined by the fact that that is an incredibly dumb thing for her to do, even in the context of, oh my goodness, Clark might die 10 minutes from now. Because she's doing yeah. it at full volume with tons of witnesses around. Uh, nobody knows where... Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Edge's Gal Friday Kryptonian who gets buttoned up Leslie really fast Lar. this episode. Leslie Lar. No one knows if Leslie Lar is lurking around not using her super hearing as she tends to do. Um, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really cool thing that fits this episode and it's a really well-written moment that is also dumb. Like I don't I don't yeah. have any other way to put well, it. Like they're just I was going to I was going to rip it apart at first, but then um I actually went back and I was like so so there's this arc that Lois follows in both of these episodes where she starts out super emotional and then she becomes rational. Like she works her way back around to rational. And, you know, we have talked before about how, you know, like, oh, you know, people do that sometimes. They go off and cool off at the bar. Um, and part of me is always at the start of that. I was like, this doesn't actually make sense for Lois as she's been defined so far. But um, it actually does make sense for me for people to get emotional when their loved ones are threatened, you know? Like, that's one of the reasons why I got yeah. after that episode where they were like, you need therapy for worrying about your son when he's nearly killed by a murder camper. It does make people act irrational, and that's one of the best <laughs> ways to create drama, actually, is to have people so flustered by the circumstances they're in that they make mistakes they wouldn't normally. Um, so I, I can like that to a degree. Neil Bailey, you have to let the murder camper go. The writers have let the murder camper go. It's just oh, of a course regular they have. old... It's just a regular old camper. No one wants to talk about the murder camper anymore. Yeah, there was some stuff that I let go this episode that I actually sh didn't know. Like, there were some weird moments. Like, uh, I, I, I wrote and then deleted and then wrote and deleted a thing three or four times because we've talked about the racial optics of this show a couple of times. And there's this yes. weird bit in the beginning where, like, because um, Smallville's pretty white, you know? Um, and you have the scene yes. in the beginning where, where Lana it, being one of the Cushings is now targeted by the town unfairly and she gets shoved by a black kid. Whoa, whoa, and then, whoa, and then a, whoa, whoa, what? whoa, before you finish that thought, that, yeah. that use of the word unfairly needs some very heavy finger quotes. Well, no, Lana or, uh, uh, Sarah gets punished unfairly. The yes, adult Cushings yes. get punished justly. I'm like Sarah yes. is completely innocent, but yeah, she gets pushed yes, yes. by the black kid, and I'm sitting there like that was a little weird, you know, like because because like you know kids would normally speak in that kind of thing, and then you have a scene where you have like so it's very visible when a minority walks on the screen in this show because it is so incredibly white, and then you have like a white dude and a black dude uh, come up to talk to Jonathan. Like, right after that. And the first thing that the black dude said is, is well, what, what, what a real get-out moment, huh? You know, and it was so on-the-nose and so pandery and so weird. 
but also at the same time, it's like they were trying, and I was like, this is, this is, what is this? And I couldn't decide if it was anything, you know? It was like that old Dave Letterman bit. I was like, is this anything? Mm-hmm. I'm like, there are these elements that on their own just sound bad <laughs> when you say them out loud, but yes. I don't know if there's anything there, so I let it go. So there's that weird bit, but the Cushing thing in general is just really, really weird this episode. Because you have the situation where, and I don't think I'm being too bold in saying this, both Lana and Kyle are incredibly responsible for the things Edge did. And now the town is having that rational response to it where they're like, hey, you guys suck, you know? Like, you kind of egg those people onto the Capitol. I mean, rather, you, you kind of uh, put the egg out there and let those Kryptonians destroy the downtown. You know, it's very, it's, yeah. it's almost on the nose. It's beating it with a hammer so hard. But the problem is, I can't hey. really tell if they're trying to be sympathetic to the Cushings in the narrative or if they're being like, look at these idiots not realizing the damage they've wrought. And not to mention, because they have now established that the powers were given to people via the XK, there is no reason to believe that Kyle and all the other people that were possessed by Kryptonian consciousnesses don't have superpowers, and it is not beyond this show to have Kyle snap from the pressure of being unfairly attacked and go on a heat vision <laughs> rampage around town. Oh no, but the like, DOD just... is now removing all of that ex-Kryptonite, and they're certainly not going to do anything because they're completely trustworthy. Like, like they're so smart right, that like... Superman's about to destroy the world, and they have a thousand Kryptonian bullets, and they just sit on them. Or Kryptonite, Kryptonite like... bullets, you know? So, so Lost planted a whole bunch of seeds and promised to resolve them and didn't because they flat out didn't have answers. So they just kind of left a bunch of mysteries where they were. But even though they committed that sin, what they didn't do was try to hand wave away the mysteries like they never existed in the first place. And I feel like what the last two episodes have been trying to do is, yeah, you're right there. I, I, I believe you. And I hadn't thought of this particular angle that they're working around COVID and they've got, you know, all of these complications and shooting and writing and all this stuff happening in the middle of this. And that's fair. And so they're getting towards the end of the season and they're trying to really stick the landing. So they're trying to write themselves out of the, the box of dumb that they've created for themselves. But the problem that I've got is that I can't pretend like the dumb stuff in the middle didn't happen and I can't just let them hand wave it away either and not be sitting there going, hey, there's like 20 people with Superman's powers just sitting in Smallville now. Is anybody going to do anything about that? Because in trying to tie up loose bo- like loose ends, they literally basically said there's 20 people sitting in, Can- in Smallville, Kansas right now that have Superman's powers. Don't worry about it. Yeah, well, right? it's like, not like Lost. It's, it's not like Lost because they're never going to explain the things that don't make sense here outside of what they're already trying to do to it. There are a lot of things that will never make sense in the narrative that just kind of sit there. Um, but yeah. Lost Lost actually answered... I, I would disagree. I think Lost answered all the mysteries. They just did it in a really offhand and weird way. Like, I can't think of a mystery that was unresolved. It's just some of the more, like, really, really weird answers. <laughs> you know? Like, that yes. just didn't make sense that were just out of nowhere. But um, but they were answered. But like and, these and two episodes. Thing... Go ahead. 
the, these two episodes for me are solid fours, maybe even like four and a half with the uh, with last week's episode and a four for this week's episode. If it weren't for everything that had immediately preceded them. And like, yes, the fact that the writers are basically trying to pretend that none of that stuff happened is just weird to me. Well, that's why I gave them They're fours li- instead of threes, even though I was inclined to do threes, because I want to rate it higher based on what it is as opposed to what it is in context. I'm working on that actively. Um, I'm still going to mention the things that happened, but I've realized yeah. that this show is not going to survive with me if I continue to regard it as a whole. Like, if I regard it as a right. whole, it falls apart. But if I have to, if I can regard it individually and see that they're taking the good parts when they run with things, then that'll be better. But uh, what do you think no, about, the, what, about the Cushing thing? Do you think that they were making a statement for or against the Cushings? So I, I read Hope in your analysis of that uh, stuff in your review, that you are hoping that it's analysis. I, I really think that they are trying to Jamie Lannister the Cushings. And and they just yeah and so the thing is is that Jamie Lannister's redemption was super duper earned like you flat out forget over the course of eight seasons that <laughs> his arc starts pushing a little boy out of a window because he caught him making the incest with his sister. Um, so, so that's I will and, say that's true for the audience, but it never worked for me. I never liked Jamie Lannister from the beginning to the end. I was always going, this dude pushed a kid out a window and and did things with his sister. You see how I caught myself there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. But like it's it's chutzpah, right? Like it's 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 nervy and ballsy to try and redeem a character like that. And yes. in Game of Thrones, you had to do that because the um, the whole setup of the first three seasons <laughs> was everybody who is not morally gray, except for Jon Snow, must die because they can't survive actual conflict. And that's yes. how the real yes, world Yes, they had no good characters, works. so they had to make bad people seem to be good. That's why everybody was exactly, like, yeah, there's a hero! <laughs> No, but there's but there's real commentary on that in what happens in our society. Like we're seeing now people pulling down statues of people who were venerated as heroes as it turns out that those people were not actually fantastically awesome people. And there's discussions to be had around that, but of course they turn out to not be fantastically good people. If Winston Churchill hadn't been prime minister when he was prime minister, we would probably regard him as a psychopath. Like, the people that you need to fight your battles for you are typically, typically don't turn out to be Superman. They don't, they're not the Ned Starks of the world. They're the Jamie Lannisters. And the problem that I have with the attempt to somehow redeem Kyle out of everything that he's done is there's no reason for it. He's not a hero. He's caused nothing but trauma in his personal life. He was causing trauma in his personal life before he ever, against the advice of every smart person in the room, brought Morgan Edge to his town to try and get their gerbs back. Um, Like there there's, nothing about anything that he did that anybody would ever raise a statue for. So I don't understand why at this juncture we're trying to redeem his character and raise a statue for him. 
See, I think that they are they are pump faking the audience. I have to hope because if they are endorsing this character and his behavior as as being the victim of injustice, then this show has far deeper flaws than than an awkward line about get out. But but um, you know, I think that what they're yeah, doing you're, is you're missing it. The... What's that? It's a reward for Sarah. It's a reward for Sarah Neil. That's what it's I got, kind it's of got, get the impression they're trying to do. Like, oh, yeah, you have your family back because things worked out. But that's not, you know. Yeah, like, you got a boy. You got a boyfriend. You got your family back. Like, yeah. but it doesn't the, fit. The it doesn't is, fit with the, the way that the, the show has has kind of set up the dynamic because it, it and, and they're still hammering that nail. They're still going like, yeah, dad normally is going to be on a tear by now. And I think that they kind of. I get the impression that that the reason I was so wary about whether it was a commentary is because they do the, they pull the trigger at the end of the episode where they absolutely excuse the Cushings and get them out of their problem without them having to have any kind of mea culpa at all because Lois publishes an article that quote unquote is going to show who's really ex- responsible which is a really weird way to solve that because they spend half the episode harping yeah. on how people who control the narrative being nasty are the reason why, you know, like, bad things happen. And then they have Lois Lane kind of manipulating the narrative so that the people she likes are protected, even though they are villains. You know, very obviously, Lana is a villain of inaction, and Kyle is a villain of action. And the problem is people see Lana and they're going to go, innocent, because she, she didn't know what she was doing. But, you know, like, I'm sure the people in the towns surrounding the camps also knew what was going on. And just because they pretended they didn't know what was going on doesn't mean they're not as culpable. You know, they they didn't pull triggers, but they certainly enabled and they certainly allowed. And this is that's reductio ad Hitlerum, I know, but but at the same time, it fits as 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 a way yeah. of describing this situation. So what I think that they're doing, and I really hope I'm wrong, but it looks to me if I'm in the writer's room right now, thinking back to what Trevor said. Um, about, you know, what's your pitch? I'm trying to think of what somebody would have pitched that would have made everybody go, oh, yeah, cool, let's do that. That maybe should have been thought through better. Um, But just seeing the choices that they've made this season, I think that making Edge Superman's brother wasn't arbitrary. I think they did that to foreshadow conflict between Jordan and Jonathan. I think Jordan and Jonathan are going to... Jonathan's going to develop powers. He'll just develop them later than Jordan, or it's going to be XK-related, because it's still there, right? And we still have three episodes left. And Jordan is in a good place right now, but he's a kid who has mental health issues, and he's not an interesting character unless he's tortured, and in the Edge Superman brothers dynamic, it's pretty obvious that Jordan would be Edge and Jonathan would be Clark. And I think what all of this stuff with the Cushings is building up to is the inverse of Lois being pedestaled to give Clark the will to conquer what was happening to him. I think the Cushings are going to be driven out of town. 
all of that foreshadowing about Lana being envious of Clark living in Metropolis is going to come to fruition in them having to move to Metropolis because they can't live in that town anymore. That's going to shatter Jordan's little heart, and that's going to set the stage for the Jordan-Jonathan reducto version of the Clark-Edge dynamic. That's interesting. And as a pitch, I would want to watch it. I think um, I, when, when uh, Trevor said that, I thought about that a little bit because I used to be very heavy on the this is how I would do it. And I used to think when I was a very young man that I could do it better than the people that are doing it right now. I don't think that anymore. Actually, I don't know. I don't know. I've written some television, so I don't know. But I guess the point is it's kind of a zero-sum game when when doing analysis to be like this is the correct way or this is the way that I would do it. Um, it's more, it's better for me to look at it and go, these are the, these are the flaws. These are the things that worked and to go from there. But I understand the urge because the, the, the way that I would do that and the way that I tend to think it's productive to do that is go, I don't understand why they didn't just do this as opposed to this is the way that I think it should be. Um, like, cause See, it seems and to I'm me just, like it's very obvious to, to get, what's that? Just, just to clarify I'm not saying this is what I think they should do. I'm saying, given all of the chips that are on the table right now, this is the Occam's razor explanation for everything they have done and likely what they will do. Yeah, well, and true, but I, I suppose what I'm, what I'm getting at is that most good writing is a reversal of what would happen next, at least in, in my experience. Right. I found that, that when it when it turns that expectation on its head and still sticks the landing, you get you get um you get a, a, a thing that, that is far more memorable, far more well done generally, unless it's like to the extreme, like bringing up Lost again. It's like this is the explanation um for this weird weird thing and it's a weird weird explanation and it doesn't necessarily make sense but now it's explained so go away um you yeah. know like that's not what would happen next but it's also like uh you know i don't know it's, no i'm it's just not i'm just looking from a dream I'm, <laughs> I'm looking solely at what they've got they've left themselves on the table mm-hmm. and what i described right now is the most now again I think it's the most logical use of what's left on the table. I think it explains why they even bothered with the Edge's Superman's brother story in the first place. Because you don't invent something like that unless you're trying to thematically do something that you're going to follow through on later. Like, that's not just... Creating a brother for Superman out of whole cloth... Um, as a brand spanking new character, you don't just do to have it wrapped up one and done. And Edge <laughs> obviously can't just be floating around in space, not being a threat forever. So I think Edge is going to get wrapped up. But I think the whole point of this was as a foreshadow for an eventual Jonathan Jordan conflict. And the way you turn Jordan bad, unfortunately, is if his girlfriend gets dragged out of town. Like, that's who they've written that character to be. I don't know if they... I, I, I can't... I, I see less of that, because I don't see them being adversary. I don't see much happening with Jordan and Jonathan this season, honestly. 
And I can't see I can't see Metropolis. Like I don't think they're gonna take the series to Metropolis. I think they're gonna keep it in Smallville. Mostly just No, that's what I'm saying. Of- no, no, that's what I'm saying. They're going to banish the Cushings to Metropolis. All of this stuff oh, the Cushings. with the Yeah, all of this stuff with the Cushings being reformed and like Kyle being reformed and oh this is so unfair is going to lead to a we can't possibly leave here. Lana's been saying all season how she always wanted to move to Metropolis, but just couldn't justify picking up and moving. So this is going to be the, okay, we're gone, and Jordan and Sarah have just become official, and that's going to be over, and he's going to crack. Yeah, I don't know. Because, see, I think I think they're slow burner, more, slow, more of a slow burn than that. You could be right, but with two episodes left, I think they're going to leave that status quo. I could be wrong, and I hope that uh, you get to gloat next, well, I guess it's a month from now. We got August 10th yeah. and August 17th are the last two. So, yeah. you know. You said you had some questions. Yeah, I just... We're probably running up on the end of time, but do you have some questions? We are. I do. I've got some questions. Okay, so question one, I've already said it, and we've touched on it a little bit, but why, 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 why wasn't episode 12, last week's episode, the season finale? I cannot think of a single good reason beyond, oh crap, we left a whole bunch of stuff unanswered that we need to deal with. To like well, like thirteen felt extraneous to me. It was a good episode that just didn't feel like it belonged as part of the season. I think the answer to that is very obvious. It is that they were going to have a bog fight between Superman and Edge, um, and they built the bridge and they built the entire set, and it costs four and a half million dollars. And um, you know they had to do something with it because it, they turned it into the egg fight in the sky. So they were like, "What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do?" And they, you know, they were like, y- "You have three episodes to fix this problem." So what they did was they 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 created the scene where where Jordan and Sarah kiss on that log, and then impossibly the police are patrolling that area. And you think it makes no sense in the episode until you realize that those are that is not actually film that was just the police arriving and they just kept rolling and it was a masterful bit of improvisation and they salvaged the set and that's why they got renewed for season two (laughs) okay okay second one and this is an actual serious question um have we actually given bad dad's backstory and everything that we learned in episode 13 have we established that they have broken with past continuity and Jor-El and by extension Bad Dad are actually the real consciousnesses of the men they look like and not just AIs with their memories? I don't know. I think the answer to that question will be as is convenient to the plot, yes or no. <laughs> Yeah, and that bugs me, because, again, it's like what's going to lead into my next question. Um, Vis-a-vis XK and rando people's powers, which is, is next season John Henry Irons going to be a instructor at Sky High? <laughs> no, see, John, John Henry is going to actually find another universe where everything is backwards. You know, he's going to he's going to find Earth 3. And XK instead of um being part of a world where your ex gets killed is going to be the thing that restores his ex to life. And so he's going to go on a dramatic <laughs> quest to save his Lois Lane and then he's going to bring her back 
and and, and he's going to um th- what, what's going to happen <laughs> is it, at the end of the season uh that lois is going to give birth to natalie and then there's going to be a cat fight in mud between the super <laughs> no. between the lois who who had natalie oh, and the lois no. who wanted natalie and um the only way it's going to be resolved is by John Henry hitting both of them in the head with XK. Kay, Kay, in the bog! Um, in the bog! Year, it happens in the bog. This, That's the mud fight. That They have the set. It's already there. This, this is going to sound incredibly uncharitable, my next question, but I truly, genuinely mean it as somebody who is excited for this character to show up, because um, I love this character. And it's it's in relation to your commentary on the extreme whiteness of the cast of this show. Was John Diggle's appearance last week literally just stunt casting for some racial disparity? No, I think that they were actually... <laughs> if I had to guess, they were like, you must pretend to be part of the broader Arrowverse, and this person will make an appearance, so they put him in for two scenes. That's my guess. Um, I don't right. think... Right, and... Know, I really and don't, Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Well, I was just going to say, like, I don't, I think the racial politics on this show are not actually so bad. I just think that it's very jarring because it's, it's, it's small white towns exist, you know, it's not, it's not a crime to depict them. Um, And they have made great pains to put minorities into this cast. And, and it's very clear that it's, it's respectful in that, at least to me. You know, like, and and who the heck am I to to, to judge that, honestly? But, I mean, just from my outside perspective, looking at it analytically for what worth my opinion has, which is not much, it seems pretty balanced to me. Um, It's just, like, there are some times when it's, like, very clearly the optics are awkward, and it's like, why did no one catch that? So I, But I don't think there's tokenism going on. I don't think they're like, well, we need a black actor, so let's send in Diggle. No, I don't. I don't think. Well, I just, I don't understand what other point Diggle served in that episode because all he did was highlight the fact that Supergirl was not there and neither were any of her Legionnaires. Well, and world ending Kryptonian megalomaniac kind of feels like the sort of thing that uh, she would show up for. And before you answer that, before you answer that, I would like to point out that John Diggle showing up. In that time period, the way he shows up and with the backstory that he's got means that this show does not take place asynchronously from the Arrowverse shows. They literally landed Superman in a alternate reality where his children were not just born, but were in fact 16-year-old twins. Yeah, it's very weird um, to jump to yeah. that. And I don't know why they did it. And it seems to me like that, that seems to me like executive meddling. Like we have to start seeding the eventual crossover, you guys. Um, but I don't know. It could just be they were like, we want to put this guy in here. Um, but he doesn't have any purpose in the plot really outside of BB like, hey, hi, I know that guy. I did an interview with a writer a long time ago. He's like, you never want to have Jimmy Olsen just walk across the screen so that Superman can go, oh, hi, Jimmy. And everybody knows Jimmy. Um, you know, like they, they have to be No, but that, that's literally what they, yeah. That's, yeah, but that's literally service. what they did It was they complete fan service. And the problem is, if you're not a fan of all the other shows, it's empty fan service because you're like, oh, it's a guy named John. Okay. Um, right, but the other bigger problem is, is if you are... 
The, the other bigger problem is, is if you are a fan of the other shows, it immediately destroyed the plausible deniability of this taking place on the same Earth that both Kara and Barry exist on. Yeah, well, and, and that it, it also asks, it, it, there are a bunch of questions that then naturally come up when you're like, well, if Edge has been here for this long, why hasn't he come at Kara? Why hasn't he, you know, yeah. what what about when the Daxamites came? Was he just sleeping? Uh, you know, like, like, uh, yeah, right. And, and, and there's other things too, like, like basic premises violated. I brought it up in the review. Like, like if edge is the reason why Lois Lane, who's a primo prestige journalist is no longer working for the daily plan. And he's just reve been revealed to be the villain that he is and went crazy. Why is she why working is she for Beppo? Right. And why is Beppo suddenly acting like Perry White and like she has any power over Lois Lane? This is what, like a 23 to 28 year old girl with a 40 year old Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who's working for her probably for free. You know, it's a really weird dynamic to yeah. start being like, you have a duty to the people, Lois Lane. It's like, oh yeah, is that true? You have a duty to change your diapers. You know, it's like, like check your number, pal. That, you yeah. know, as they say in the union. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was actually going to be my final question. Why is Lois working for Beppo at all anymore? I don't understand that dynamic remotely. Um, this is because yeah, no, Beppo like, actually is a super monkey. That's the thing. Like, she has put on a human mask, and only Lois knows, and Lois knows that Beppo actually thinks she's a human being, but she's actually a monkey with kryptonite powers, and the only thing that's sustaining Beppo is the power of love. And if she doesn't, um, then then evil an evil monkey from Krypton will take over her body, and she will just run across the entirety of Smallville, murdering everyone with her evil monkey eyes. She will just hit them with heat vision and fling her poo through like the bank and destroy it. It will explode in poo, and you know it's you just don't want to see I'm, that. I'm, yeah, I'm going to end. Not with a question, but with the two scenes that I loved most over these last two weeks. They were both from this week's episode. There was the Clark floating in orbit listening scene, which they did better than Superman Returns. And I thought Superman Returns was the high bar for displaying that particular habit of his. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, yes. And there was the edge soaking up solar radiation scene which was only soiled for me by the fact that i have wanted to see a live action superman do that since i was a little kid and i see edge doing it instead but aside from that it was will. just so flipping cool yeah i think that's how superman defeats him or you know that's a way but but also with the listening scene i didn't mention that in the review because I was, so I had this moment, it was like that bit at the end of that Smallville episode where they used the footage from Terminator 3. I, it rung a bell in my head, and I think it might have been reused footage from when he first fought John Henry, and he listened for him, and they cut quickly so no one would notice, and I think it might have been the same scene, but I haven't had internet for 23 days, so I have to I have to look into that, and I will remark on that in the next episode once I look at it, probably on Sunday. So Fair, and next episode we are actually doing Superman 3, correct? 
Next episode, yes, we are actually doing Superman 3, and then we'll start plowing through because... Legends of Tomorrow. Sorry, Kate, we're working yeah. on it. And uh, and I will have internet, okay. so we're not going to okay. miss any more weeks. So it's going to be good. Perfect. Perfect. All um, right. Okay, so that, that finishes me. And again, I just want to let everybody know, I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed these episodes. It's just they made every stinker element of the previous ones even stinkier by virtue of how they earned these two episodes. That's where That's my beef is. And it really sort of... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's what made the bog set so expensive, actually, is it had to look stinky, um, but smell good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's filled with perfume. <sighs> well, I, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad to see that breathing American air has not dulled your senses at all, Neil Bailey. Uh, another fantastic week, guys. We will be back next week to talk about Superman 3 and why Kyle is Brad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, come on, Clark. Uh, yeah, all right. Well, we are Ampersand and Sons in uh, Gilbert, Minnesota, and Edmonton, Kentucky. Was it Kentucky? Oh, God, I'm political again. Goodbye, Julian. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, Neil. We'll see you all next week. Well, hey there, all you super cat coes and kittens. I'm not going to ask you to like or subscribe or add us on Facebook or Twitter because, frankly, I just don't care. Julian might, but you'd have to ask him. I am, however, an independent writer of novels, comics, and reviews. I don't get paid for that, and I've been doing it steadily for 21 years. If you like what I do, and if you can, your support would mean a world of difference in my life. I have a website where you can find my books, neilbailey.com with an A in the Neil, N-E-A-L, not an I, and I have a Patreon where you can get exclusive early access to everything I do along with free copies of all my books and comics along with every new book and comic I make as they come out for the price of a coffee. Get yourself on over to www.patreon.com slash neilbailey and tell them Neil sent you. Thanks for listening.